Do you have an inquisitive mind? Where do you go for answers? Imagine if the natural world held an answer to every question. Welcome to the Flowerhood Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Frankpitt. I'm on an orchard growing avocados and there's something going on. The more time I spend in nature, the more I learn about myself. Is it possible that until we connect with nature, we never truly flourish in our relationships, community, businesses or health? Oh boy, this is no ordinary gardening podcast. Join me at my kitchen table for wide and varied conversations with old and new friends from around the world. I'll be asking questions on how they connect with nature, what the research shows us, and look for ways we can incorporate these learnings into our lives. Let's get started. Tēnā koe ahoa. Hello to you, friend. Starting off with a mihi, that's a Māori greeting. This week, I have a very short podcast for you because I've got a lot going on and I've also losing my voice, so I'm a bit croaky. Apologies for that on the sound. Avocado orchard. I'm getting uh, the fruit tested in the laboratory in preparation to pick. Because here in New Zealand, we have a certain level of ripeness that the avocado needs to be before we pick them and sell them. Avocados are climacteric fruit that ripen after harvest. So we need to make sure that we pick the fruit when it's actually physiologically mature, and that way it will be able to finish off its ripening process once picked. So if you pick that fruit in the middle of winter, you know, it is going to be hard and it will probably never ripen in the fruit bowl. So in New Zealand, we want to make sure that all our fruit sold meets that minimum level and provides you with the best possible taste. Now, if you get like an avocado that tastes very bland, too watery, there's a good chance that it has actually been picked too early. Though I do have to say that some of the varieties naturally taste quite watery. I mean, I've got a couple of trees on my orchard that I use as pollinators, so I don't actually sell the fruit. They're... um, Especially like the Zutano, it has these really big, large, beautiful looking fruit with a very smooth skin, but they never achieve that rich, buttery taste that you get in the Hass avocado, which is my main lot. So yesterday, my fruit sample was picked and sent to the lab, and it would need to achieve a minimum of 23% average dry matter. So dry matter is the solid content of the fruit once you remove the water. And they literally put it on like dehydration trays, slice the fruit thinly. And the fiber, uh, the bit that's left, the dry matter is made up of fiber, carbs, vitamins, proteins, fats, sugar. And the other way to test the fruit is the oil content. So that's another way to test the maturity level. You probably had that experience. I certainly know I have in the past where you've bought a piece of fruit and then you cut it open and it either is sort of kind of watery and firm. It never properly sort of has that real rich buttery buttery flavor, you know, easy to spread on your toast. That could be because there just wasn't enough 
oil content. So if it's nice and rich and buttery, it's got a high oil, oil content. If it's sort of a little firmer and, and a little watery, it's got less oil. The later you buy in the season, the more likely you'll have higher oil as it builds up in the fruit. And there's nothing more beautiful than when I walk through my orchard <laughs> late autumn, early winter, and I find one of the avocados that's been missed by the pickers, and it's still up there on the tree. It hasn't dropped off. And I pick it, and it will be ripe in just a day or two. It hardly takes any time, and it is just delicious. Rich, buttery, nutty. It's actually in the kiwi fruit industry, they test fruit before it's picked as well. And they have a couple of things. They have a taste test that's mainly driven by the amount of acid and sugar that's in the fruit. So acid and sugar give you the taste. And then you also have volatiles, which are these parts in minute amounts, but they have a really big impact too. And it's the thing that hits the sensory receptors in your nose. So as you're eating the food. So those volatiles all add to the flavour. Kind of interesting. As they say that if you lose your smell, you lose your taste. And it's true. And you might have had that, you know, when you've got a really heavy, heavy cold and you just can no longer taste anything. It's it's bland. I remember reading about chefs who have done too much cocaine and have damaged basically damage their ability to taste the food that they create, wrecking their careers. So my children, another reason not to do drugs. So these sugars, acids and volatiles in fruit, they're all affected by temperature and time. And if you have cold snaps, this will often bring on the ripening in something like a kiwi fruit, say late summer, autumn. Leaving the fruit on the vine longer builds up the sugars. So for me, as well as getting the orchard ready for picking, there's quite a few tasks involved there. I'm also involved in another project, which is setting up an organic orchard. And that's going well, getting ready to put the orchard in and get it planted out. And this orchard's actually going to be kiwi fruit. This last week, I've been planting up exposed banks on the property. It's a lot of hard work. I've been putting in lots of native grasses and um, ground cover. So hopefully that'll keep the weeds down because I don't want to be spraying anything nasty on the organic orchard or around the area. And then the other thing I'm doing is I'm working on the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within virtual event as one of the crew, the voluntary crew. And oh, hey, big shout out to all my TR peeps out there. This is incredible event. I think there's going to be about 10,000 people from all around the world. And one of my jobs is to help register them. It's a magical experience. I'm online in these Zoom rooms and doing tech calls with people, just making sure that they get them finally confirmed in and they're all ready to go and they've got this set up right. It's so much fun. And I've probably done so much talking over the last couple of days that that's the reason why I'm a bit hoarse and, and the voice is beginning to go. So this week... I really wanted to just touch on the podcast 
was a little bit of a celebration because in New Zealand, we've had the largest celebration of te reo Māori in history. So te reo Māori is the Māori language. So we kind of don't actually say, well, some of us do, but we don't actually say we speak Māori. We actually speak te reo. And actually, I don't speak it that fluently. I am just learning. (laughs) So I have to put my hand up and actually admit to that, that I am no expert. I can't lie. I find it challenging to learn a new language, being a bit older. But it's also extremely rewarding. I don't think you really understand or know someone until you speak their language. Finding out how the words were created, the hidden meaning and references to their history, mythology, experiences that brought that word into being. And what I'm learning is so much more than a language. This beautiful treasure, and not just words. I love discovering the layers of meaning behind each word. So for many years across multiple generations in New Zealand, it's unbelievably sad. Kids were beaten at school for speaking Maori. In fact, it was only like 1987 that Maori became an official language. So I thought the thing I would really love to share with you today is the traditional way to greet or introduce yourself and how you say it. So, I mean, how do you introduce yourself? What do you say? You know, like, I'm like, hi, I'm Alex. I work in advertising or I'm a doctor or I'm a painter or I'm in waste management. I'm Alex. I'm a Kiwi. I'm a New Zealander. And so often we say our first name and our profession or perhaps our country. The traditional Maori way to greet or introduce yourself is different. And it's called a pepeha. You never start with your name. You start with the connection to the land. So you say your greeting, your mihi, tenata tokatoa, greeting to you all. And then the mountain that is affiliated to you. The mountains of New Zealand are a place of awe and spiritual presence. Mehemia ka tuahu aho me monga tete. If I should bow my head, let it be to a high mountain. If you're not from New Zealand, then just introduce the mountain that has the greatest meaning to you. And then you move on to the sea and river or lake that is affiliated to you. So the seas and the oceans join all the continents on our planet Earth. It's what links you to me across these vast stretches of water. So we've got the rivers, and the rivers are like arteries of our planet, feeding into the sea that links us all. In New Zealand, the Maori would have used rivers like roads, but they were also this place to access fish, eels, and punamu, which is greenstone, a prized stone. Rivers are sacred. They are to be cared for, acknowledged, honoured, not polluted. And then after you've introduced your river, 
or your lake, you then introduce your waka, your canoe. So the waka is what carried the ancestors from the small Pacific islands to New Zealand. And the pepeha is the story of how your iwi, your tribe, and your hapu, your sub-tribe, came to New Zealand. So this is a story of how you link to your ancestors. Because the Māori have a tradition of keeping all the genealogy in through an oratory storytelling and recitation. So the early settlers, when they first came to New Zealand, they were able to act as scribes and write down this incredible knowledge that was kept by these people and known off by heart in their head because it was such an honoured, honoured tradition. I'm telling you, like, the Māori gave my heritage a run for their money. Now, if you don't have a walker, it doesn't matter. You can describe the airplane or boat that brought you or your ancestors to your place of settlement. And the, then enter the genealogy part where you describe your tribe or your sub-tribe, often your marae or place that you meet. And sometimes people put in the church that they meet at as well. And then you go on to the names, your grandparents, your parents, your siblings, the people who define you. These are the people to be respected. Those that preceded you bring you to being you. And there is no one else with the exact same combination in this world as you. So the final and very last thing you say in your pepeha is your name. This is your pepeha. And what I'll do is on the flowerhood.com website under the podcast page, I'll pop a link so that you can actually fill in your own one. And it makes me think, how would it change us if we all put our focus on our natural environment first? How would it form our decisions going forward if we looked to our mountain, our ocean, our stream, our lake, and honoured them, gave them the respect, and then honoured all those people who came before us, the good and the bad, honoured them for bringing us here to this point in time, this place, with all their knowledge all their lessons. What strikes me is how something as simple as the way you introduce yourself can change the way you feel. Revere and wish to protect the land and honour the past. You know it. We all know it. We live in such a me society. What would happen if something like Facebook made you join? At the very beginning, you had to join your mountain group, and then you had to join your ocean group, and then your river group. And you were defined by how you connected via nature to others and this planet. You are so much more than just your name and your profession. 
My heartfelt thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Flowerhood podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show, like and review it on your favourite player. Be part of the greater Flowerhood community. Join the Flowerhood Facebook group and find show notes and information at flowerhood.com. I can't wait to share the next episode. Until then, hey, why not stop and smell the roses? Thank you.